Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I am glad you are here. So today I am going to be talking about the book, The Four Agreements. Um, it is a fabulous book. I highly recommend that if you haven't read it, that you do. There is a lot of spiritual tone to this book, but please don't let that turn you off if you're not a spiritual person, because there is a lot in this book that is really worth digging into and worth thinking about, which is why I'm going to be talking about um, the things that are in this book today. Um, so yeah, really worth picking up. And while I'm going to be talking about some of the ideas in this book, there's absolutely no way that I can do this book justice. So you really should just read the book. All right. So the first thing that this book talks about is the idea of agreements, the idea that, um, we are raised in societies not of our choosing, that we are kind of randomly allocated based on random chance. And based on where we're born is what we're raised with, you know, based on the culture that we're in and the religion that we are exposed to. All of that is random based on where we're born. Um, and Based on how we are raised, we enter into agreements. And these are the ways that we see the world, the ways that we engage with the world. It's the way that we choose to um, view it through, the lens that we choose to view it through. So... He talks about this idea of the domestication of humans and that people don't come into this world knowing how to properly behave by society's expectations and that we teach our children the appropriate ways to behave much the same way that we have to teach dogs and cats how to behave. And then in this manner, humans are domesticated just as much as our animals are. Um, we're, we're teaching people the ways that we think that they should think and the rules in which they should be living by. And that by the time that we become adults, we're so trained that we begin to self-govern under this rule set that we've been given by our society. And these self-governing rules, these are the agreements that we have made with ourselves. These are the things, these rules that we've taken on faith, that we believe to be true, the rules that we um, will follow just in our everyday life. Um, so some of the things about these rules is that Humans aren't perfect, and it doesn't matter how hard we try, nobody can live up to the standards that any of our rule sets expect of us. Nobody can follow all of the rules all of the time, especially when you consider the context that a lot of our rules are conflicting. Um, and because of this, we often see ourselves as less than because even though this is an unrealistic expectation, it's one that we have. We expect that we are going to abide by the rules perfectly. And when we fail to do so, we judge ourselves harshly. 
In fact, he argues that we judge ourselves more severely and that we abuse ourselves more than anyone else in life. And that our ego and our level of ego and our level of self-worth will dictate how much we are willing to take from other people. So if we have a high self-value, then we're going to expect that other people treat us really highly. We're going to expect that people treat us like a high-value person. But if we have low self-esteem and low self-value, then we're going to be okay with people treating us like a low-value person. We're going to be okay with people treating us poorly. Um, And because of this, he feels that we abuse ourselves more than anyone else. And that self-abuse is the standard that we set for ourselves and that we use that as the bar when we're engaging with other people. So in these agreements, we tell ourselves who we are, what we feel, what we believe, how we should behave, all these standards in how we should be in society. We define what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a wife, a husband, a daughter, all the roles that we're supposed to be playing and how we're supposed to be engaging when we're in those roles. All of that is in our agreements. So, We have the power to change these agreements at any time. We can choose to live by different agreements. So let's say we are living by the agreement that we're stupid. We can choose to stop believing that we're a stupid person. And we can start living by the agreement that we're not stupid that we can learn things and we we are smart enough to do it. And we can start telling ourselves this every day and we can change our agreement. And his argument is that the only way to change our lives is to change our agreements. And in this book, The Four Agreements, he offers up four agreements that he feels that you should take on if you want to live a good, healthy, free life. So the first agreement that he feels is the most important but the most difficult agreement to live by is to be impeccable with your word. So first is the idea that your word has power. And we often don't think of the word as being a powerful thing, but if you look at some examples of what the word can do, um, if someone is told their whole life that they're ugly, no matter how beautiful they are, they're probably going to believe that they're an ugly person. That's going to be an agreement that they buy into and an agreement that they live by. But in a bigger, grander scale is if you look at world events, if you look at political events, if you look at major world history events, most of these events surround the power of the world. You have Martin Luther King and his very powerful speeches. You have Hitler and his very powerful speeches. And the way that they moved people to change their behavior and the way that they shaped events in history with the power of their word. So our words are absolutely powerful. They can absolutely affect the world around us. They can affect ourselves. They can create change. So 
he argues that our word has the power to create or the power to destroy, depending upon the way that we choose to use our words, and that this is why we need to choose to be impeccable with our word. And when he defines being impeccable, he means this to be without sin, and that a sin is anything that goes against what is true and good for yourself. And this sounds kind of strange, but, you know, if you think about the idea that um, everything that we do is inherently selfish and self-motivated, and he says that there's really no way to get around that, but that when we act, we do it on the truth of ourselves and that we do it based on the goodness of ourselves and that we stay true to that self so that we aren't causing ourselves harm. And the thing is, is that he argues that you can't harm other people without harming yourself. And this comes back to the idea of karma, not karma as a omniscient force in the universe that's somehow counting the beans and going to allocate justice for the universe. But the idea that people pay attention to what you do and pay attention to how you treat other people. So when you are treating people well, the people around you are going to see that you treat people well, and they're going to be more inclined to treat you well and to help you if you need it. If you are treating people poorly and you're hurting other people around you, people are going to see that too, and they're going to treat you accordingly. So based on how you act and based on how you treat other people, your actions are going to find their way back to you because people are going to treat you the way that you're treating them as a general rule. So by harming other people, you are in fact harming yourself. So he argues that harming other people is not being true to your word and is not being good to yourself. Um, that it is a rejection of yourself because it is a harming of yourself. Um, so when you're being impeccable to your word, it's about balancing truth and goodness. So truth is important, but truth is also contextual. There's a lot of perception involved in truth. Two people can see the same event and walk away with two different perceptions of what happened. And both people have a truth and an honesty in those events. And it's not that either people are wrong. It's just that they have seen it and perceived it differently based on the context of their worldview and their world set, or their angle, or a whole myriad of things that can affect the perceptions and the way that you see and view and understand things. So that being said, truth is not concrete, and truth is not black and white. And he also argues that truth isn't always good. So generally speaking, people think of truth and truth-telling as a good thing, but again, if we go to some examples, um, if we go to the time of the Nazis when the Jewish people were being murdered horrendously and there were very good people who were hiding the Jewish people in their home and the Nazis came knocking on their door and they asked these people, are there Jews here? Well, the honest thing 
is to say, yes, there are Jews in our home and to give them up to the Nazis. But the good thing to do is to lie to the Nazis and to protect the Jewish people who are in your home and to continue to hide them and protect them from the harm that you knew was going to be caused if they were discovered. So truth is not always good. So we do when we we do need to balance the, the two. There are times that goodness supersedes truth, that there are times that that truth just doesn't serve anybody. Like, do you need to tell your best friend that 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 you think their shirt's ugly? Like, does that serve a purpose? Does it hold value? Does it does it do anything good for you or for your friend for them to know that you think their shirt is ugly? So we should think about the value of our words before we let them out into the world is basically what he's saying. And we should weigh those words with this idea of truth and goodness. Um, with that being said, he feels that gossip is always toxic and is always a, a, a bad way of using your word and that it's always harmful and that we should never engage in gossip. I kind of agree with that. I don't think that that talking behind people's backs and making assumptions and telling stories about them is ever a useful and constructive way to help people. That's that's not how we build people up. Um, so that's the general idea of the first agreement. The second agreement is don't take anything personally. So... We are really inclined to selfishly believe that everything in the world is about us, that we're the center of the universe and that everything that people do comes back at us and is about us and is related to us. Like we are inherently egocentric creatures and we are inherently egocentric thinkers. Like that's inherently part of being human. And we need to push back against this notion of we are always part of everything because the truth is is that the center of someone else's world is that someone else like if you're talking about your brother the center of your brother's universe is your brother like their world they're the main character in your world you're the main character and everything is surrounding you but in their world everything's surrounding them and that's true of every person on this planet. So when someone does or says something, it is about them. It's about their world perceptions. It's about their agreements. And it's not about you. So even if someone is saying something that's judgmental towards you, it's really not about you. It's about their agreements and their perceptions of life in the universe that are leading them to have that opinion about you. But it doesn't, in fact, change in your reality in any way. If someone thinks that you're stupid, it doesn't in any way affect your actual IQ or your actual intelligence. That is not changed in any way. So it really doesn't have anything to do with you. So your points of view come from the way that you're raised. And all of that is skewed. And he argues that all of us have these biases and these, this skewing of perception. So 
ours isn't any different. We also have the same biases and skewing of perception and that by taking things personally, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So the last point about taking things personally is that we don't need to take ourselves personally either. So we all have these voices in our heads that talk to us all the time. And we, we somehow feel obligated to listen to our thoughts and take them seriously because they're our thoughts. But we're not any more obligated to listen to our thoughts and take them any more seriously or personally than we take anything else that we hear from someone else. Because first of all, just because there are thoughts doesn't mean that they are actually true. Secondly, just because there are thoughts doesn't mean that they actually originate from our minds. They could be um, something that was seated there from someone else, from something that we saw on TV, something we read in a book, you know, they might not actually be genuinely our idea. It could be an idea that we have scooped up from our environment around us. So just because it's in our head doesn't mean that it's ours or that it's true. So we're not beholden to our thoughts any more than we are beholden to the things that other people say or do. So if you're your thought is saying that you're stupid, you don't have to listen to it. You can you can treat that voice in your head like the rude passenger on the bus and tell him to bugger off. You, you don't have to listen to it just because it's a voice in your head. So the third agreement is don't make assumptions. Um, everyone has their own world and we can never enter the worlds and the minds of other people. We are completely segregated in this life. My world is my world and no one else can ever step into this world. And because of that, nobody can ever really understand what I'm thinking. Nobody can ever really know my thoughts. I can try to express them with my words, but that's not the same as knowing and experiencing the mental experience inside my mind. And because because of that, we can never really know each other. And therefore, an assumption is just really a wild guess. It's, it's just kind of guessing. And yes, as we get to know each other, we can get better at guessing, but it's still a guess. And there's some things that are risky about an assumption. And the first is, is that we have this tendency to make this guess, this assumption, and then to believe it to be true and we kind of forget that it's an assumption that we made and we just start believing it and we we forget where this information came from that it was this self-generated thing so it's this intellectual trap that we can fall into into thinking that this is a true thing when it's really just a guess that's the first risk that comes with assumptions the other thing with assumptions is that we are always going to see and hear the world through our perceptions. And because of that, we are at high risk of projecting ourselves onto other people when we make assumptions. So whatever our vulnerabilities are, that is what we are most likely to project onto other people. If you have a lot of social insecurities, you're highly likely to just assume that the people you are meeting aren't going to like you. You're not going to wait for them to tell you. You're just going to assume it. 
because well, I don't know. That's that's what you're you just are afraid. You know, you're you're sure that nobody ever likes you. But by doing this, you are taking your most vulnerable pieces of yourself and you're projecting it onto other people and you're painting them with the darker parts of yourself rather than allowing them to decide for themselves. You're deciding them for, for them. Um, and, and the last thing is, is that it, when we assume, especially if we assume someone is going to do something or that someone knows something, we set ourselves up for disappointment and feelings of rejection. Because if they then do something else or they then didn't know it, we're in this position of, well, but you should have. When it's silly because they can't read our minds. So we also fall into the trap of assuming things about ourselves. We often assume that we can't do something, that we won't like something, that something would be too hard or too stressful, things that we haven't experienced yet. And we don't give ourselves a genuine, honest chance to experience things before we assume that we know how that experience would feel and would be. And because of that, we often limit ourselves. And this is because we like to stay in our little comfort zone and it's not a bad thing to be in your comfort zone, but it's limiting there and you're never going to grow and you're never going to get to see new things and you're never going to develop a new favorite anything because you have to leave that comfort zone in order to ever see or do or become anything else. So we, we do need to also challenge the assumptions of ourself. We need to allow ourselves to, to say, wait, you know, this kind of sounds scary. It sounds like it might be something I don't like, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how it goes. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's see how it is. Let's just give it a go. So then the last agreement is always do your best. So if you always do your best, You can never judge yourself and you can never have any regrets. But some of the first things to keep in mind is that your best is never going to be the same from one moment to the next. But if you always, under every circumstance, do your best at everything that you are doing, then you can never fault yourself for anything. No matter how it turns out, you can always honestly look at yourself and say, I did my best. It didn't turn out how I wanted it to, but I did my best. And we can never ask of ourselves or other people more than our best because we genuinely cannot give more than 100%. So if we give less than our best, we leave ourselves room for guilt, for regret, for self-judgment, and for feelings of frustration, because if we don't end up with the outcome that we desired, we now blame ourselves for not having tried hard enough. But if you did your best, you can't judge yourself because there's no room. You can always just answer back to that anxious, judgmental voice in your head, I did my best. And there really isn't a rebuttal to that. Because no matter how hard we try, sometimes things don't go the way that we want them to. 
So doing your best is giving it everything that you have available at the time. And so in the world of chronic illness, we talk about spoons and the idea that we don't always have the same amount of spoons every day. And you don't always have the same number of spoons available for a task because sometimes you have other tasks that you have to give spoons to. So giving your best means giving the amount of spoons that you have available for that task. It doesn't mean giving all your spoons or giving all of yourself because overgiving is also a problem. And it's kind of pathological. You're going to just like crash and burn and and burn out and you and it's not sustainable. So when you do your best, you give yourself a position and a platform with which to accept yourself. No matter what the outcomes, you now have a platform to safely rest and to say I did okay. I didn't do wrong. This is all right. Even though the outcome isn't desirable, here we are. You know, I I did my best. So this is the general idea of the four agreements. Um, I I really recommend you read the book because there's a lot more to it than this, but that's the overview of it. Um. With the first agreement being be impeccable with your word because our words are a powerful thing and we can create or destroy with them. The second agreement being don't take anything personally because everyone's world is separate, unique, and isolatory. Uh, The third agreement is don't make assumptions because we really can't understand what other people have going on in their worlds and we can't read their mind. And the fourth agreement, always do your best. And he argues that if you follow these four agreements, that you will have a much more peaceful, happier um, life. And I I think that it's an interesting book with lots of ideas that are cool. So go read it. Um, I hope that you found my prattling interesting. And that is about all that I can think to talk about on this book for today. Uh, thanks for coming and spending some time with me. Uh, if you like what I am doing, considering, uh, consider clicking the button to give me some support so that I can do more of this. Uh, it really does help. And until we talk again, you guys take care of yourselves. Thank you and goodbye.